I'm thankful to be back here. A lot of you have known me or my family for, for most of my life. Some of you may not know me, or maybe I don't know. And so I'll tell you, really, all you need to know about me is that anything good about me, anything useful, anything that matters is from God. Um, I don't say that with false humility. I say that with a, an awareness of my complete inability to do anything that matters unless He helps. And I was reminded of that as I was sitting there this morning, and I felt such a sense of um, a spirit of humility and love here among you all. I hope you could feel that as well this morning. I, I preach in different places, and you don't always feel that. Sometimes you feel a spirit of um, anxiousness, or a spirit of fear, or a spirit of even envy or strife in churches. And I'm thankful this morning that I have felt this spirit of humility and love, uh, because I truly believe we all stand in need of God. Anyone who exalts himself will be abased or brought low, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So, the best advice I could give this morning to all of us, to myself included, is that we would come together and humble our hearts before the Lord, that we might hear what He has, that we might feel what He would give, that we might benefit from whatever He wants to share with us. As we stand in need of Him. I want to begin, I have a lot of different scriptures and I felt a little bit conflicted about where I should start. So I want to start by quoting from Romans. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that God has given us a spirit of adoption, a spirit of love, a spirit of confidence, a spirit of even strength, a spirit that gives us an ability to do what He would have us do? And I look at my own life sometimes, and I look around at the lives of the people of God sometimes, and it seems like we live sometimes as if we've been given a spirit of fear. And I'm curious, how many of you have ever been afraid? Some of you, I guess, aren't really human. Most of you raised your hand. The other ones, I don't, maybe you're asleep or something. I've been afraid. Now, here's what our culture does. Here's what some people like with my personality. We don't call it fear, we call it anxiousness. We call it worry. I, I, I'm not afraid, I'm concerned. So use every word you can think of. Fear, concern, worry, anxiousness, uh, I feel upset, I feel restless. All those words that are under the heading of fear. Don't we all experience that a lot from time to time? Maybe all the time, some people. But God hasn't given us a spirit of bondage again to fear, but a spirit of adoption. Let's turn to, I want to start there, but let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Get some grasp on this. Hebrews chapter 2. Just read a couple of verses. This is speaking of Jesus. Verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, Jesus, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him, or it was appropriate to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure or support and uphold them that are tempted. We hear passages like that so many times, I wonder if, if we really hear them. Jesus took on him flesh. Because 
The children are partakers of flesh and blood. What does it mean to be partakers of flesh and blood? It means, and this is how I feel most often, like Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which I desire I find not. He says, I thank God then that I serve the law of God with, with the mind, the law of sin with flesh. In other words, our flesh is always going to be deficient. It's always going to fall short. It's always going to have more fear, more concern, more worry, more anxiousness than it should and than it could. We're never going to arrive. And Jesus understood that, so He put on flesh so that He might know what it feels like to be one of us. And I want to tell you that before we go any further, because some of you will probably have a tendency to listen to this message and then be critical of yourself. Why don't I have more faith? Why am I so afraid? Why don't I trust better? I want to tell you, don't do that. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you've been saved by God's grace, it doesn't help, and there's no reason for you to be self-critical. Listen to this part that I already read. He's been faithful, a high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Jesus is already interceding on my behalf and on your behalf. It's not going to help you to try to do something to yourself that Jesus is already acting in response to and for. He's making a way right now. So, before we even go any further, I want to tell you what my grandfather tried to teach me most of my life. Don't be too hard on yourself. Because here's the pattern. The enemy will get us into a state of fear or worry or anxiousness or some type of sin. And then somehow we'll get past that. But then now we're in a state of, why am I so bad? Why do I fall so short? How come I can't do better? And he's just as happy, the enemy, for us to be distracted with thoughts about how we're not what we should be as he is for us to be afraid or in some gross sin. As long as our eyes are taken off of Jesus, that's what our adversary wants. So when I ask you, have you ever been afraid? Whatever word you use, we live in a culture that's riddled with anxiety. I used to have a job where I, I made rating decisions on disability claims that included mental disabilities. And if you look in the DSM, the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, there's just disorder after disorder, category after category. You know what they're all based on? Really? Fear. I'm not saying those things aren't real. I'm not saying the mental health field is bogus or you don't need help from a doctor sometimes. You might. But what I'm telling you, as a child of God, Jesus came. Listen, we always preach about heaven. We talk about, you know, you need to have your sins forgiven. Absolutely. But Jesus came not just to take us to heaven someday. He came to deliver us from the bondage of fear. So I want to tell you, if you're afraid, you don't have to be. When you're anxious, you don't have to be. When you're worried, you don't have to be. When you're preoccupied about whatever you're thinking about, you don't have to be. Oh, you're human, so you will be from time to time. But when you find yourself in that state of paralysis, you don't have to stay there. And as I started to say, whatever word you call it, fear, anxiety, distraction, worry, concern, whatever word you use, I'm talking about those times in your life that your peace is stolen and your sleep is deprived from you and you're distracted and you can't really focus and you can't be what you want to be and you can't do what you want to do because of that feeling that's somewhere in here. It doesn't have to stay that way. God put this message on my heart. I felt um, resistant to it because I have been in that exact state. And the Lord reminded me that the gospel that we preach is greater than the messenger. The message I'm preaching is greater than me. The truth God has burdened me in my heart to tell you all 
is true even though I haven't fully grasped it. This truth is true even though I still sometimes worry too much and still sometimes get distracted and still sometimes waste my life. And I don't have to and neither do you. See, I'm not preaching something that I've arrived at. I'm preaching something that Jesus has accomplished. He has made a way for us to live lives that are not in bondage to fear, distraction, worry, turmoil, any of that other stuff. Lives that are full of peace. And if you've been saved by God's grace, you know what I'm talking about because you've had at least seasons of your life where it was dominated by peace. Where no matter what happened, you knew it was going to be okay. And if you're like me, it's usually the smaller things that make you worried. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. You can trust God in the big things, the life and death situations sometimes. And then it's the little things, like a job. Or your kid's school, or your school, or what you're going to do, or moving. or a ha- All this like peripheral stuff. What if we trusted God with the small things like we do with the big things? Wouldn't our lives be better? That's what God has really put on my heart to come remind you of. He didn't just save you so you can go to heaven someday. He saved you so you can actually enjoy this life now. I'm not talking about enjoy in a superficial... I'm talking about in fullness and the depth of joy and peace that you can know through God. I really believe that the people of God have what the whole world is looking for, and sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes we don't live like it, do we? Sometimes we're slaves to those feelings and emotions that Jesus came to free us from. Fear really is the opposite of faith. Faith is trusting and knowing that God is who He said He is. And that he will do what he said he will do. Fear is worrying about how it's going to (laughs) happen. Or trying to make it happen on your own. Or thinking, what does it mean? I want us to think about a famous king. Read a little bit of his story. David. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Because we're going to spend most of the rest of the message talking about King David. I want us to look at him as a young man. See what he was like. I'm going to read about David and Goliath, which no doubt Judson and Emmett and Landry and all the other children have heard about David and Goliath, but I want you to listen again. Okay? The Philistines were the enemies of the people of God, of Israel, and they were set in battle against God's people. They were encamping in this valley. They were going to battle. And this is what we read in the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at a certain location called Shoka, which belonged to Judah. They've already invaded. And they pitched between Shoka and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul, that's the king, Remember, Saul is the person that the people um, elected as their king because of his physical might and strength and his impressive stature. He was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. I don't know exactly what that meant in that time, but maybe six foot six, something like that. He was a big guy. If anybody had strength and might, it was him. And he's the king at this time. And they're set in battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley in between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. You know how tall that is? Like over nine feet. Almost ten feet tall. I've never seen anybody that tall. I like basketball and I think of Shaquille O'Neal who was seven foot one. A big guy. He was small compared to Goliath. And he had a helmet of brass on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat, this defensive armor that he wore, was 5,000 shekels of brass. That's 125 pounds. The body armor that he wore weighed almost as much as David. He's a big guy. 
And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. I've never uh, woven anything on a loom, but I think that was a large beam, maybe two and a half inches or something. Too, too big for our hands. And this gives you some idea of how big it was. The, the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's about 15 pounds. His spearhead. Not to mention the staff of the spear, the stick. If any of you have ever gone in a gym and, and lifted weights, that was close to the weight of just the bar that you put the barbells on. This, he's a big, impressive, imposing, scary enemy of the people of God. And they had every right to be afraid. They were human. The more they looked at Goliath, the more justified their fear became. The longer they stood preparing for battle against the Philistines, the more real their fear became. The longer they prepared to go to battle, the more real their fear became. The longer they stayed in that circumstance, the more paralyzing their fear became. And then God sent a man, well, we don't see yet that he was sent there by God. He was a young man who was a shepherd boy. He was the least of his father's children. And I'm just going to paraphrase the rest of this. He was the one of his whole family that was thought the least of. He was the least likely to be given any job of importance. He wasn't old enough. He wasn't experienced enough. He wasn't tall enough. His brothers were in Saul's army. And his father, after a while, wondered how they were doing. And he said, I want you to go down there and take them these loaves and these cheeses, take them some food, and find out how they are and come back and tell me. Where had David been? This is what I really want you to get, because we miss this sometimes. Where was young David, not king at this point, where had he been while the people of God were preparing and encamped against the enemy for battle? He was nowhere near it. He was out in pastures. He was taking care of sheep. He was in a place where he was alone, away from the noise, away from the distraction, away from the destruction, away from the warfare, away from the pain, away from the misery of life. He was alone. He was with God. And while David is out there taking care of sheep, which was the least important job to these people, Saul is encamped, and his people are encamped against the Philistines. And every day, this Philistine warrior, who'd never been beaten by anybody, comes out and blasphemes the people of God and makes fun of them. And says, "If are you even men? Send me a warrior to fight against me, and if he wins, we'll be your servants, we'll be your slaves. If he loses, then you'll be our slaves. This had gone on for 40 days. David rose up early in the morning, 20th verse, and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of his keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistines, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spoke according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw that man, fled from him and were sore afraid. You ever been so scared you ran? Ever been so scared you wanted to run? Or again, maybe we don't use that word. You ever been so anxious you wanted to run away? To give up? To stop? One of the challenges of preaching is God puts things on your heart that are so uh, personal, you know, that you experience and... There's no way to, to bring the message he has without acknowledging your own weakness. And so I tell you, I've been there. 
I know what it feels like to be completely paralyzed by whatever word I want to use. Anxiety, fear, worry. And a lot of you know what that feels like, don't you? And Jesus knows what we feel like. Because He put on flesh. He lived like one of us. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. The men of Israel said, If you've seen this man that has come up, surely to defy Israel he's come up, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give them his daughter, and will make his father's house free in Israel. (laughs) Saul is desperate. (laughs) And David spoke to the men that stood by him, and he asked them what will be done, and they told him what they just said. And this is what David responded. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? How come nobody else in Israel felt that way? Was David special? Was he he stronger, mightier? Why was it different? I believe the primary difference is these people had been entrenched in their circumstances. They were stuck in this rut of what life was, and they never got a break from it, and all they could see all around them was the battle. All they could see all around them was defeat. All they could see was this insurmountable obstacle. All they could see was this enemy of God who was greater and mightier than they were. All they could see is that they had no hope. David came from a place with fresh eyes, renewed mind, a pure heart, where he had been with God. And he came there with his eyes still fixed on God. He didn't care how big Goliath was. He didn't care how mighty the Philistines were. He wasn't concerned about his own life because he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about God when he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He was concerned about the reputation of God. The people answered and told him, They accused him. This part always amuses me. They say, this 28th verse, I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart, for you've come down that you might see the battle. (laughs) Sometimes when God puts something on your heart and your eyes are fixed on Him, sometimes people don't get it. Sometimes they're still surrounded by the obstacles. All they can see is fear and they'll accuse you. They'll make fun of you. It doesn't matter if your eyes are fixed on God. David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? I love this part. Let's, let's read this. And David turned from him toward another and spoke after the same manner. He was going from person to person saying, is there not a cause? Isn't God's name important enough? Isn't his cause big enough? Why are you standing here afraid? Why aren't we defeating these people? If God is for us, who could be against us? Isn't there a cause? What happened? That's how David feels. And when the words were heard which David spoke, he's going around telling everybody. He can't believe it. They brought them before King Saul. (laughs) Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Do you know how ridiculous that confidence would be if it wasn't founded in a complete focus on God? A trust of him? That would have been absurd. And in fact, Saul answers him and reminds him how crazy that is. He says, Saul says to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are only a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant also slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God." David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. I want to pause right here and use this to remind us that there may be in your life from time to time a lion or a bear. There might be some impossible hardship. There might be something that's overwhelming that you feel like is going to destroy you. And when God brings you through that, you will be able to look back at that experience 
with your eyes on Him and say, God brought me through that. He'll bring me through this. There's a privilege in suffering. Now, I'm not telling you try to go find suffering. That won't do you, God, or anybody else any good. Try to serve the Lord. And when hard times come, when suffering comes, God will be able to use it later to strengthen you for the task at hand. He didn't send somebody to defeat the enemy who had never been through anything hard. The faith David had at this time was a faith founded in reality. I think sometimes religious people completely misunderstand what faith is. It seems like sometimes churches teach and sometimes we absorb this idea that faith is somehow mustering up enough emotion to convince myself I believe something I don't really believe. If I can just bake myself... <laughs> no. Faith is founded in reality, the type of reality that's foundational and underneath every wave of life. Faith is looking at God and saying, you have helped me before, I know you'll help me again. It's, faith isn't about our own strength. Faith isn't about our own focus. It's not about our mindset. It's not about anything of us. Faith is about God. Abraham believed God and God accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham is called the man of faith, the father of faith in Scripture, and his faith was defined as him trusting God. Period. You can be the weakest person you know and still have faith. David was the least prepared according to worldly um, military training standards. He was the least prepared person to go into battle. He wasn't old enough. He hadn't been trained. He'd never been in a war before. You talk to somebody who's been in combat and what they're the most afraid of is having a guy beside them <laughs> watching their back who's never been in that situation before. David had never been there. But he had been through something like it. He had had his life threatened. And moreover than that, he was protecting God's sheep, his father's sheep, and protected them in spite of impending death. You know the rest of the story. Saul listens. Somehow he's convinced. He gives his armor. David doesn't even have any armor. <laughs> so Saul puts his on him. David tries to go along with the system. He tries to do what the king wants. He puts it on. He gets ready for battle. And I believe there was some kind of unsettled unrest in his spirit because of the way he answered. He said, Saul, this armor is unproven. I have never trusted in this armor in any of the situations that God has brought me through before. I can't trust in this armor. I have to trust in the living God who has protected me and who will protect me again. So he takes off the armor. He goes into battle with no protection. He doesn't even have a sword. He stoops down to a little stream. He picks up five smooth stones. He puts them in his shepherd's bag. He goes out to face this Goliath. Amazing. Almost 10 feet tall. His armor weighs as much as David almost. David's still not thinking about himself. If at any point he had been thinking about his own strength, he surely would have failed for fear. You've heard the story. He slings the stone. It sinks into Goliath's forehead. This was always my favorite part as a kid. He jumps on top of Goliath. He doesn't have a sword, so he grabs Goliath's own sword and chops his head off. David was a man. This wasn't some fairy tale. This was, I mean, they were living in the world. He grabs Goliath's head, holds it by the hair. Abner takes him back to see Saul. He's still holding his head. David's not afraid. He did the job that had to be done. I dwelt on that gruesome detail on purpose. Sometimes God allows us to go through situations that are bloody. Emotionally bloody. Sometimes literally. But we go through things that would scar us if we don't keep our eyes on God. And when you look forward into King David's life, you see some of these scars of war. 
You see what we might call today post-traumatic stress disorder. You see anxiety. You see fear. You see all this in the life of David because he was human and he didn't always keep his eyes 100% fixed on Jesus. That's why when I say don't be too hard on yourself, that's part of what I'm talking about. I want us to read just a psalm that David wrote later in his life, Psalm 56. When the Philistines took him in Gath. Now, David is somebody who has become the stuff of legends. The women go around singing about him. Think about any epic movie you've seen and the war hero in that movie. That's what David was like in Israel. They're going around singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David killed the greatest single warrior perhaps that's ever lived. He has become king. He has been the most powerful leader Israel has ever known. And yet, he gets to a place in his life more than once where he's completely terrified. There's a time he's hiding for his life. There's a time he's so scared. Do you remember this? That he goes and fights with the enemies. He, he fights with the Philistines to try to stay alive. This is what he wrote when he was taken by the Philistines. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresses me. My enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O Thou Most High. What time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. Oftentimes we quote from this passage and we only read verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. And we somehow superimpose that on ourselves when we feel afraid or anxious or worried or concerned. And then here's what we do. We use it to criticize ourselves for not having more faith. <laughs> Why don't you just be less afraid? Why don't you just have more faith? I think we fail to grasp the desperation that King David felt. He was at the end of himself. And when he said, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee, he was expressing something from the depths of his heart. He was convincing himself of a truth that in the moment he had forgotten. In God I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. You know why he wrote that? Sometimes we read those passages and we think David was never afraid. The reason he wrote that is because he was fearing what flesh could do to him. He said, I put my trust in God because previously he wasn't putting his trust in God. He was trying to get back to that place. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are evil against me. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps. They wait for my soul. Shall they? And this wasn't metaphorical. People were literally trying to kill him. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? What was he crying about? Terrified, afraid for his life. When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Doesn't that feel different at the end of that psalm than at the beginning? <laughs> he starts out, be merciful, God. I can't make it without you. I'm weak. I need you. I'm not going to survive. And he finishes it up by reminding himself, God, you have saved my soul. If you did that, won't you keep my feet from slipping and falling? Brothers and sisters, if you have had an experience of salvation with God, if you know Him, if you're His child and He speaks to you with His Holy Spirit, remind yourself in those times, God, you have saved my soul. How much more will you protect me in this small little thing? You've saved my life. How much more will you guide me in how to raise these children or how to love my wife or how to do this job or whatever the situation 
See, we sometimes get into places in our lives where we're dominated by fear. We might not even recognize it as fear. What do you do when you feel like that? You know what I sometimes do? This is, this is my default. I find some way to deaden my active mind. I don't sleep enough. My wife will go to bed. I try to do something useful and my mind's even more amped up. So I'll turn on Netflix and distract myself. And that's a pattern. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So it was no surprise recently when I got to a place last Monday morning. I started the morning. And I said, Lord, I am scared. You have to help me. I didn't admit that before then because I was distracting myself. And I realized, I began to understand, as God began to burden me with this message, that fear is brought to God's children to try to distract them from reality. And try to render them powerless in His service. Fear, you know what fear does? It distorts reality. It makes you believe things are real that aren't even real. Do you remember being a child and being maybe afraid of the dark? You go to bed, there's a shadow, there's a monster in the closet, there's a monster under the bed. And you get a little bit older and you experience more of life, more of reality. And you start to realize that was reality distorted by fear. And what I was experiencing, what I was convinced was there, wasn't even there. We may not do it about the dark and about shadows. Some of us might still as we become adults. But we do it about other things. We allow fear to distort our perception of life and we start to convince ourselves of things that aren't even real. That person doesn't like me. This isn't going to work out. I'm going to die. My job's... I'm going to get fired. Whatever. It's not even real. Fear. You know what else it does? And by the way, if I haven't made this clear, fear, I believe, is one of the most intentional tactics that our enemy uses to distract us from serving God. It's the foundation of so many other things. Fear doesn't only distort reality, it robs us of our freedom. God, when He created us, never mistake, instilled us and created us with freedom of choice. We don't have unlimited power and there are some things we can't accomplish because we're not omnipotent. But He gave us the power to choose. Fear robs you of that. All you can do when you're in a state of life that's dominated by fear is be manipulated by that feeling. You no longer have the power to choose until you bring it to God, lay it at His feet and say, you have to restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You have to help me. Fear steals your life force. It literally takes your vitality from you. And again, don't get dis- you might say, oh, I'm not worried. Okay, anxiety steals your life force. Worry steals your life force. Concern steals your life force. You know what else fear does? I've experienced this a lot. Fear makes you sleep deprived. Actually takes sleep from you. Fear causes you to make poor, nearsighted choices. Don't we? We can't see the big picture anymore. We can't see the horizon. We can't see the sunrise. All we can see is the Philistines in this valley. Sometimes you have to get away from your circumstances to have a reality adjustment so God can show you what life and truth really is. Fear, I already mentioned, this is one of my sins that I have to repent of. Fear prompts you to do mind-numbing activities. Some people to use mind-altering substances. Hear this, ultimately, and I don't mean this with criticism, but I want us to realize it so we can surrender this to God and have freedom. Fear ultimately is sin. And sin brings death. Fear will actually kill you before you're supposed to die. Brings disease to your body. 
You feel it. When you're anxious, afraid, scared, you, me, I feel it in my neck and in my shoulders. feel my whole body constrict. What did Jesus say? The devil, the thief, comes not but for to still kill and destroy. I don't know about y'all, but all those things scare me. Somebody wants to steal something, I'm going to be scared. Somebody wants to destroy me, I'm going to be scared. Somebody wants to kill me, I'm going to be scared. The thief comes to bring fear. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He came to give us life and freedom. I'm not talking about some prosperity gospel, fancy cars, big houses. You might or might not have that. What I am talking about is you can live like you're actually alive. Sometimes we forget that. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. God showed me as I was sitting there last Monday morning, and I finally got to a place of actually surrendering my illusion of control to Him, that I was reaping what I had sowed in the weeks before. Instead of actually seeking and laying my concerns before Him and telling Him about my worries and asking for His help, I was distracting myself. No wonder I felt unpeaceful. But we haven't received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption. We have to remember who we are and whose we are. I want to give you this passage before I finish. Philippians 4, starting verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. King James says, be careful for nothing. You could translate that, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Let go of your anxiety. Stop taking so much care. But instead, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me remind us, God is not the God of what if. Whereas most fear is founded in this abstract future unknown. What if this happens? What if that happens? God's not the God of what if, but He is the God of if. He gives us conditional promises. He says, I will give you peace if in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you present your request to me. This peace is not promised unconditionally regardless of what we do with our lives. If we sow seeds of doubt, if we sow seeds of fear, if we give in to this, if we stop sleeping because we're worried and we don't lay it at Jesus' feet, we're not going to produce peace in our lives. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace be with you. You want the God of peace to be with you? Now, the truth is, He's always with you. But I'm talking about living a life that's free from fear, that's full of love and joy and peace, You know what it takes? Focusing on what's true. Focusing on what's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. How many of those words are in the daily news, by the way? (laughs) I'm not saying you shouldn't be informed and know about the world, but I, I can't have peace if I have the news constantly blaring morning and evening. Because it's the opposite of all that. Bad news sells. Destruction is what's in the headlines. Death is in the headlines. Listen, we know life is bad. Do you need convincing of that? You know what it takes to be able to serve God? Get away from the death, destruction, mayhem, distraction. Go out in the woods or a field and look at the stars. Look at the trees. Look at the water. Be reminded of who He is. Whatever you've seen in me, put in practice and you'll do. I uh, I did an internet search as I was preparing for this and just typed in, what is anxiety? And this is what some medical site said. Anxiety is your body's natural response to stress. It's a feeling of fear or apprehension about what's to come. But if your feelings or anxiety are extreme, last for longer than six months, and are interfering with your life, you may have an anxiety disc. Could you imagine living like that for six months? You don't have to. (laughs) We can surrender it to God. I want to leave you with a couple of practical things because 
Sometimes I fail at that when, when I preach. I'm not always good about, okay, what now? We talked about the fear that is possible. Uh, no doubt we've all experienced from time to time. We talked about how God could deliver you. Let me make that very clear. Uh, when you get to a place in your life where life is more than you can handle, where there's more fear than you know what to do with, where your heart is being convicted of your sins, you can surrender to God. You can repent. He can give you peace. And that is a peace. I want to be clear. You all know this if you know Him. I've never been afraid of hell since God saved me. Even when that pervading peace is gone, the prevailing peace of God, I forget it, I'm still not afraid of hell. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen when I die. But sometimes we don't live like we actually have peace. That's what I'm talking about. So I want to give you a couple practical things. First off, we know what Scripture teaches. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to make this as clear as I can. If we don't renew our minds in the goodness, mercy, and truth of God, we're not going to have peaceful lives, period. You might go to heaven when you die, but you're not going to enjoy being here very much. We must renew our minds. And in case you don't know what that means, it pretty much means the exact opposite of what the daily American life causes us to do. Busy... (laughs) Running, worried. That's the opposite. Renew your mind. We need to get in God's Word. And maybe when we don't do that every day, we need to get on our knees before Him and say, God, I haven't been what I should. You know. Help me. Sometimes, here's another practical thing. Sometimes you are so caught up in a state of fear or anxiety or worry or concern, whatever word you want to use, And the best thing you can do is take a break from the circumstances you're in. I got to a point in my life, I don't know if I've ever told this publicly, last year where I didn't know if I could keep functioning. I went to my boss, who was this tough Yankee from New Jersey. I mean, this is what he was like. He sent out an email, a mass email, that said, Stop sending thank you responses to my email. I'm not from the South. You don't have to say thank you. (laughs) And I went to him and I said, Bill, um, I'm not okay. He said, What do you mean? I said, Well, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And he got real serious. I said, What are you talking about? And I said, I'm not, I'm not suicidal, but I'm everything short of it. Everything but that. Life had been too much, too much for too long. I, the way I'm wired, had been carrying everybody's problems, trying to help everybody around me. And it caught up with me. Because we can't live life in our own strength. And maybe some of you, maybe you've been at a place like that, or maybe you're at a place like that where life is just, it's just too much. I want you to know there's rescue, there's peace, and there's hope in God. Now what God did for me, and I didn't understand it at the time, but He provided an opportunity where I ended up in Germany. And I spent all day, every day, face to face with the kind of people we make war movies about. And they came in my office, I shut the door, and they found somebody who finally cared. And I had finally gotten to the point that I realized all my strength was an illusion. I had been grabbing life with both hands and trying to bend it into whatever I wanted it to be for my whole life. And God had brought me through a place recently where I realized without His help I couldn't even function. So that was the state that I went to these people with. So no wonder when they came in, I had no bravado, I had no false, I I had nothing except love for them. And God used that to distract me from my own self-focus. I don't mean distract in a bad way, but sometimes when you're not where you want to be, you get so focused on being not where you want to be that you become obsessed with it. And instead, He put people in my path in front of me who had real problems 
divorce, death, suicide, every kind of problem you can think of. And I had an opportunity to love them. And then when I loved them with everything I had in me, I spent almost the whole weekend in the woods. Every weekend. God knew I had to change my circumstances. And He knew I was too stubborn to ever do it on my own. This message isn't about me, but I felt the need to say those words to tell you some practical things. You might just need to get away from what you see every day, even for a day or two. Definitely renew your mind. Definitely focus on good things. Definitely be around people who bring out the things of God in you. Life's a battle, brothers and sisters. What do you think Scripture means when it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places? The enemy right now is trying to destroy us. And for a lot of people, I'm almost finished. Some people he can use drugs, some people he can use alcohol, some people he can use illicit relationships. But a lot of God's people would never fall for that stuff. So he uses things that we think are okay. Worrying about our kids. Worrying about finances. Worrying about the future. What did Jesus say? Why do you worry, O ye of little faith? Look at the sparrows. Look at the lilies of the field. He loves us so much. He wants peace for us. He wants life for us. He wants us to focus on Him and surrender our illusion of control and have real peace. And that's what He offers. This thought I will leave you with. I heard this in a sermon last week. We talk about the armor of God a lot of times. And we talk about the stuff we're supposed to put on. The breastplate, the helmet, the sword. Sometimes we completely miss the previous verse that says... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That comes before put on the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord. David didn't have any armor. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Brothers and sisters, you want to have a life that has meaning, purpose, that's free from paralyzing fear and anxiety? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might.